The Bible reading today is from Amos chapter 7. It is on page 749 of the Pew Bibles. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the late crops were coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive, how can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent a message to Jeroboam king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy any more at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured up and divided up. You yourself will die in a pagan country, and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, please keep your Bibles open. Let me lead us in prayer as we open up God's word. Heavenly Father, as we continue to hear from your prophet Amos, we hear of the severity of the judgment that is to come. But Father, we pray that we may appreciate your rightful judgment on sin so that we might truly appreciate the depth of your grace. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's something wrong with you as a human being. That's what a Japanese wife said to her Japanese husband before she filed for divorce. There's something wrong with you as a human being. So what did he do that was so terrible, what was so reprehensible that she couldn't bear with him any longer? Well, this happened in 2014 when the movie Frozen hit the big screens. The wife went to see Frozen and became obsessed with it. She loved it so much she wanted her husband to go see with her, but it appears her husband wasn't all that keen. But she was patient. She asked him again. But he didn't want to go, and so she went alone again. She encouraged him to see it again, and he didn't want to go again, and so she went to see it alone again. 
She kept wanting and waiting for her husband to go and make the time to see this movie she so loved again and again, but she didn't again and again. Eventually, uh, her patience finally paid off. They went to see Frozen together like any ordinary couple going to see a movie at the, uh, uh, at the cinemas. And at the end of the movie, the husband turns to his wife and says, do you really think it was that good? She couldn't believe it. She was gobsmacked in disbelief, in anger, in frustration. She says to him, if you can't understand what makes this movie great, there's something wrong with you as a human being. And that was it. The wife had reached her limit. She ran out of patience. She filed for divorce. Her husband, to watch Frozen and not appreciate it, was unforgivable. Uh, as the journalist who reported on this said, of all the reasons why you might want to end your marriage, not liking Frozen wouldn't generally rank that highly. Perhaps we would venture to suggest she should just let it go. Would you describe yourself as a patient person? I wonder whether you're like me and can identify and relate to these memes I found. Patience. What do you have when there are too many witnesses? But when no one's around? It's been five minutes since I ordered online. Or maybe you're more virtuous and pray for patience like this kid on the screen. Lord, grant me patience, but please hurry. Uh, patience is a virtue, a, a fruit of the Spirit, an expected characteristic that should define all Christians because our God is a patient God. But it will be a mistake to think that God's patience has no limits. God's patience can run out, uh, just like it can with us. So, for example, if you have an employee who's slack at work, you spend, uh, who, who spends more time on their phones than they are at their work, and if you have called them up on it and warned them against it, and if they've uh, continuously uh, ignored your warnings and turned a deaf ear to your requests, your patience will rightly come to an end at some point. And it will be reasonable and justified for you to let them go. And in a similar way, God's patience will run out one day, as it did with Israel in today's passage. Now this passage is Amos chapter 7. It's the beginning of the last section of Amos uh, from chapter 7 to chapter 9, God shows us uh, five visions. Amos sees five visions, and three of them will cover in today's passage. Now, the, today's passage can be divided into two sections. The first section will cover the three visions from verses 1 to 9, and it culminates with the end of God's patience with Israel. The second part of the passage is from verse 10 to 17, where we see the end of Israel's patience with God. So now let's have a look at the first three visions. The first vision sees the land devastated by a plague of locusts. Verse 1. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested, and just as the late crops were coming up. As you might have noticed recently, inflation is going through the roof. Uh, the combination of uh, floods and the pandemic, uh, supply chain issues and, and fertilizer shortages, I meant that even a single iceberg lettuce cost $11.99 only a few months ago. I think there's a picture for you on the screen, uh, the one before this one. Uh, it's crazy, isn't it? A head of lettuce at $11.99. I mean, this, that's, that's almost the price of a chicken laksa at a restaurant, and I know which one I'd much prefer. But even though inflation is going up and our grocery bills are at all-time highs, at least we can still buy food and can substitute where necessary. So uh, KFC, for example, 
have substituted some lettuce for cabbage because it's far cheaper. But that wasn't going to be possible for the people of Israel. If God unleashed the locusts on Israel, Israel would have been ruined. They wouldn't have been able to buy food. They would have starved. There was no alternative to substitute. You see, normally crops are harvested twice a year, one at the start of the season and one at the end. The first harvest would go to the king, like a form of tax, and the second harvest would go to the people. But if the swarms of locusts destroyed the second harvest, not only would there not be any food for them today, there would be no food for them tomorrow, and their barns would be empty for the winter months. Israel would have left, been left with no food for six months. Their barns would have been empty, no food on the table, people would have died. And so Amos knows the devastation this would cause on the people of God. And so he pleads with God in verse 2. When they had stripped the land clean, that is the locusts, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. Amos intercedes for Israel. He doesn't make any excuses for their sin. He, he, he asks God to forgive them for their sins because he knows that they deserve God's punishment. Now, now what do you think God would do? You see, when we read Amos and his sermons on it week after week, we get the false impression that all these oracles, all these messages were delivered one after the other in a span of a few hours or a few days or even a few weeks. But the reality is that Amos's ministry to Israel lasted years. God's message to them didn't all come at once, but over time. And that means that they had time to repent. They had time to hear and consider the words of Amos, to consider whether they should assess their lives and repent and turn back to God. The further along we get in the book of Amos, the more time Israel had to reflect, to repent. But as we've seen, they haven't repented. They turn a blind eye to their sins and a deaf ear to God's word. Yet we read in verse 3, what does God do? So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. The long-suffering God changes his mind through the prayer of a prophet. God relents. Amos then sees another vision, verse 4. At this time, it's a vision of fire. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. This is the picture of a nuclear holocaust. The fire is so devastating, it doesn't just destroy everything on land, it dries up the sea as well. Imagine that the, the fire is so ferocious, the heat is so intense, that even the Mediterranean Sea is dry like the Sahara Desert. And once again, Amos cries out to God and God relents. Verse 5, Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. The visions God gave Amos was a vision of the future. But when God saw, when Amos saw what God was going to do and what he was going to unleash on the people of Israel, he prayed. He prayed not with big fancy words. He didn't pick up the phone and call his fellow prophets to arrange a prayer meeting, but with simple words. He prayed to God, please forgive, please stop. One man prays for an entire nation, and what happens? God relents. God changes his mind. God withdraws his judgment. God doesn't do what he had planned to do. And this is remarkable, isn't it? 
Because you and I know that we should pray. But do we believe that God listens to our prayers? I mean, if a daughter asks her dad for food and got no response, and, and then she asked for a cuddle, but no cuddle came her way and she was ignored, that would be terrible, wouldn't it? And maybe that's how we sometimes feel about prayer. We pray and it feels like God's not responding, God's not doing anything about it. And I can understand when we feel that way that it demotivates us from prayer. But Amos tells us that God isn't like that. He listens to our prayers and responds to our requests. Our prayers can even change God's mind. And so if you've been praying for God to save your family and friends, then keep praying. God hears your prayers. If you've been suffering and praying for comfort and healing, keep praying for God hears your prayers. If you've been praying for humility and godliness, keep praying for God hears your prayers. You see, Amos reminds us that God listens to our prayers. Even in the most extraordinary circumstances, he listens, he cares. He takes our prayers into consideration whether we're a minister or a young Christian, whether we're eloquent with our words or struggle to know what to say. God listens to the prayers of his people. And in the case with Israel, Amos's prayers buys them more time. Amos's prayers delays God's judgment. Amos's prayers are a plea to God to continue to be patient with his people, to give them more time to repent. And God is patient. God withholds his judgment for as long as possible so that they would repent, but unfortunately, they don't. And we see this in the third vision. Verse 7. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line that is in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Now, when you build a wall, you want the wall to be straight. You want the bricks to stack on top of each other neatly so that it's strong and balanced, it's structurally sound, and it looks good. Because if you build a wall that's curved or crooked, not only is it ugly and messy, it's dangerous and it can collapse and kill innocent people. And so how do you make sure you build a wall that's straight? Well, you use a plumb line. Now, a plumb line is a string uh, with a weight attached uh, to the end. And its purpose is, is, is to ensure that a wall is built straight. Now, God's holding his plumb line not against a wall to see how straight a wall is, but against his people to see how straight they are. You see, when God saved his people from slavery in Egypt, he brought them to Mount Sinai and gave them the law. And that's the straight line. That's the plumb line of God. That's the line that they are to live by and that they will be measured by. That's the standard in which they are to live for God and to worship God. And God has now come back to assess his people to see if they're true to plumb as they claim to be. But they're not. Verse 8, Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. They claim to be plumb. True to God's word, faithful to his laws, but they were completely out of line. They prided themselves as the first of nations, they turned, yet they turned the sweet righteousness of God into bitterness. They're crooked. 
They sold their own slaves for profit. They bribed judges and denied the poor of justice. They're twisted. They didn't love what God loves they, and hate what God hates, but instead they covered up their immorality with religiosity. They're out of plumb. You see, the people of Israel claimed to be plumb to God's word, but they were completely out of whack. They're filled with immorality. Their life is a mess, and so now God will punish them. Verse 9, the high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Now that's the end of the third vision. And do you notice a difference with the two other visions we had just looked at? What's missing here? There is no prayer. There is no intercession for God's patience has run out. God's patience has come to an end. There is no going back. But just as God's patience has come to an end with Israel, so Israel's patience has come to an end with God. You see, they were happy and secure. The economy was booming. All The Sumerian All Ordinaries Index was at an all-time high. They could drink wine by the bowlful, eat the choice meats every day of the week, they could lounge on ivory chairs like they owned the world. And they found security in their military behind their fortresses. Yet they weren't irreligious, but very religious. They probably knew they weren't perfect, but they were devout worshippers of God. They didn't go to Jerusalem, but they went to Bethel. Surely that was good enough for God. After all, they made sacrifices to God every day. Surely God would be happy with them. Surely Amos is too extreme with all his preaching of fire and brimstones. He should chillax. But the more Amos called them to repent, the more impatient Israel became. The more Amos prophesied about God's judgment, the more irritated Israel became. And of all the people you'd expect to listen, Amaziah doesn't. He says, Amaziah is the priest of Bethel the spiritual leader of Israel, the king's chaplain, the archbishop of Canterbury, as it were. Instead of joining Amos in calling Israel to repent, he goes to King Jeroboam to accuse Amos of conspiracy. Verse 10, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear it or his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. And so Amaziah tells Amos to go away. Verse 12, Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amaziah tells Amos, that there's no place for God's word in Israel. He tries to gag God and send Amos home. And we can understand this, can't we? We, 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 we understand and we can relate to Amaziah. I mean, no one likes to hear that they're out of plumb and they need to get their act together. No one likes to hear that they need to repent lest they face the judgment of God. I mean, it's hard enough for us to, to get feedback for the things we do, let alone the judgment of God. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear that we're good, that we're worthy, that we're honourable people, that we're respectable. That's how Israel thought of themselves and 
that's how we probably think of ourselves too. But when God assesses us against the plumb line that he has set, we're all crooked, we're all twisted. And we don't want to hear that, do we? That's why sharing the gospel is so hard. For unless you preach judgment, you won't appreciate grace. But like Amos, we must, as Amos tells Amaziah, he's not doing the work of a prophet because he wants to, because he needs a job, but because God sent him. Verse 14, Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. That is, uh, my family business is not prophecy. That's, that's not how we earn our keep. But I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. You see, Amos wasn't in the family business of prophecy. He was a shepherd minding his own business, and God took him out of that so that he might preach the word and prophesy to Israel. And so God will bring an end to Amaziah's priestly line and bring disaster on his household. Verse 16, Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Now, the story about the Japanese couple that divorced over Frozen might seem bizarre to us. I mean, how could they divorce over a movie? But Frozen meant the world to the wife. For her husband not to appreciate it, not to love what she loves, was the straw that broke the camel's back. And in a similar way, we might not think some things should trouble God should matter to God, not trivial things like frozen. But there are some things, if we're honest with ourselves, we might say, we don't understand why it matters to you, God, so much. Like when we say a white lie, why does it bother you, God? It's a white lie. Or, or the sorts of websites we might click on. Or, or losing our temper once in a while and excusing it, even though we know it was wrong or out of line. But God has saved us to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. God's the one who sets the plumb line and not us. Uh, he, he, he doesn't save us to love Frozen. He saves us to love him and his word. And God's appointed a day when his patience will run out. And he'll call each and every one of us to account. He'll measure each and every one of us against his plumb line. And every one of us will be found to be crooked. And so what we need is for God to measure his plumb line, not against us. Because we know what the result of that will be. We don't want God to measure his plumb line against us, do we? We want him to measure the plumb line against someone who is straight and upright. Someone who has never been bent and twisted and someone who has never distorted the word of God we want God to measure 
our lives against someone else, someone who has lived in obedience to God and his word. And the only person who can say to God, please don't measure your plumb line against David, but please measure your plumb line against me as though I'm David, is Jesus. For only Jesus can say that and be true to plumb. Friends, you and I need Jesus. When God's patience runs dry and judgment day arrives, we need Jesus to stand in our place so that when God comes to measure our life, that he measures our life against Jesus' life, that we might be found in Jesus true to plumb. And just as God was patient with Israel and longed for their repentance, so God's patient with us and longs for our repentance. As the Apostle Paul tells us in his exposition of the Gospel in Romans, in the context that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, rightly deserve God's just judgment, He says that God's kindness and forbearance and patience is intended to lead us to repentance. So Romans 2.4 tells us, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Friends, let's not be like Amaziah and lose our patience with God when we hear of his judgment. But let us listen to Amos and repent. And in these, what, that, that's what I've been seeing over these past few weeks. It, it, it's hard, isn't it, as you go week by week and hear of the judgment of God. But what has been really encouraging is by some of the conversations I've had with some of you, the way you've opened up and the way you've, you, you've allowed God to challenge you through Amos, the way God's Words penetrated your life, the way you've been encouraged by his grace and mercy. And so as we reflect on today's passage and continue our series on Amos for a couple more weeks, let's remain in the posture of humility. Let's keep taking God's word to heart. And let's continue to be moved by his grace that ultimately is found in Christ whom we want God to measure our life against.